Welcome to the Mentium Matters podcast, where we talk about leadership, life, and the transformative power of mentoring. My name is Solveig Brown, and today we have a very special episode for you. I am going to be talking to Elsie Chapa and Artie Linworth. If you listen to Artie's podcast episode, you heard him tell a story about meeting a mentee in person many years after he mentored her. If you haven't listened to Artie's podcast yet, I highly recommend listening to it. Elsie was the mentee that Artie was talking about. So today I am thrilled to have them both join me. I am going to ask Elsie a few questions to begin the podcast. And then we are going to have Artie join us for the second half of the podcast to talk about what it was like to meet after all those years and to get both of their perspectives on common challenges that leaders face. Before I begin my conversation with Elsie and Artie, I would like to give you a little bit of background on both of them. Elsie Chapa is a consultant for Bosch Management Services in Mexico City and has a PhD in mechanical engineering and concurrent design. She has more than 20 years of experience in manufacturing operations and spent five years working as a plant manager. She is especially skilled at driving organizations through change and challenging situation. She lives in Mexico City with her family. Artie Linworth has had an illustrious career. He started out as an electrical engineer with a master's degree in engineering administration and rapidly progressed to various corporate leadership positions, including plant manager at several sites across the USA, senior vice president responsible for global business, and general manager of his company's operations in Chile, South America. Artie is a former gymnast and coach, a private pilot, a bluegrass banjo and classical guitar player, a martial arts practitioner practitioner, a motivational speaker, and an author of several books. Artie has been a mentor for Mentium for more than 25 years, and he was Elsie's mentor in 2004. Artie is going to join us for the second half of this podcast. So Elsie, we are going to start with you. Welcome. I am so happy to have you on this podcast today. Thank you very much. I'm happy also. Very, very happy. Elsie, you are known for driving organizations through change and challenging situations. Can you walk us through what it is like to manage a difficult change, especially when the change has to be kept confidential? Yes, yes. You know, the the question is interesting when you put together change and confidential. We could also change confidential by um, critical impact to the organization. And yes, I had three times in my career very significant challenges related to this. And I learned with the time. The first one was I was very young as, as director. And, and later I had two other opportunities to, to lead this difficult change. And I think what was constant is that you need empathy not just empathy you as leader with the organization, but also you need to receive empathy from your organization. And I will put an example. My first challenge in this area was a long time before, and the top management of the division was directly involved in this, and I had to report to him. And he came uh, from Europe to Mexico, and every quarter I had to explain. He was, now I see he was so empathic because the first three presentation, I was trying to convince him that this was not the good thing to do. 
And he was so patient. He'd never say, no, Elsie, you have to do. No, he took the time at least three times to hear my arguments. <laughs> and in one moment, he said, Elsie, okay, you can have all the arguments, all the analysis you cannot afford. And then in this moment, they say, okay, it's clear that the change has to come. But, you know, having this empathy uh, from him allowed me to understand that they were understanding me and then I had to understand them. And then after this, I made the change. <laughs> after this patience, uh, you had to do this, no? And then I, I think I applied this in the other two challenge I had, no? Not just uh, receiving empathy from the organization, but also giving empathy. And then for the other uh, two, two times I had to deal with, this is what I did, empathy receiving from the organization and understanding empathy with the people involved and also with myself. You know, in the second case, I was more impacted because after this, my career changed, no? But I understood that surrounded by this empathy, I could drive this. It was no easy. I remember the second time I had to announce this change. And some, some, somebody said, no, Elsie could not be the one that has to inform because she will cry. And yes, I was ready to cry, <laughs> but I didn't. But I didn't. But, you know, I felt that the organization was understanding, was understanding myself, my situation, the situation of everybody, no? And then I think the, the main, uh, with this combination, because you know, we, we talk a lot about change in the organization, but this combination of change and confidentiality or change and critical change, what I could find is that empathy is the, the thing that will allow you to, to drive these changes. Elsie, thank you so much for talking about the importance of empathy. I feel like that, isn't always talked about. And the way you explained it was just so beautiful because I could understand, um, I, I like that multi-directional aspect of empathy that you wanted the, the company to understand you, you wanted to understand the people those changes was affecting and how that empathy created understanding, which even though the change was difficult or critical or confidential, made it a little bit easier to do and that you were able to use that throughout your career in these kind of these critical change moments. So another thing I've been interested in is that you were a plant manager for five years and only 6.7% of plant managers are female. So, I mean, you've really been kind of on the cutting edge of, of these changing gender roles and changing the, you know, positions like that. So can you talk about why you think you've been so successful in such a male dominated industry? Yeah, I think that one of the points was I never changed my leadership style. Yes, you know, now we have to change um, if you go through, through the situation of your business or uh, related to the people, but in general, I never changed this. And then I think that I felt the organization so comfortable with my, my leadership that I think they never questioned if this was because I was a woman or not. So it was the way it was, no? Then I felt this very free to do this, no? I have also, and this is something I, I am careful, I had also the big chance to be in a good organization, promoting diversity, supporting uh, uh, women, but also 
I was always in a male-driven uh, world, uh, literally since I, I was born. My mother was already in the university, the unique woman in the university in the area she was uh, studying. Later, I was in the high school, the only uh, girl in the classroom. And then I arrived to, to the company. Then for me, it was relatively normal. I know that it's not the case for, for all, all women. No? Then I think uh, I have to take care about this. No? It's not perhaps so simple. But when I look uh, back, I think it is to, to show that being a woman is so normal that the people will not question. Yeah, it's Elsie as another director, what's the, the matter, no? And I think this depends on, on us, no? To make this, not to fight with this or not to try to show, but make to the organization natural the way you, the way you, you lider or the way you, you behave in your, in your work, no? And I will put an example. In one moment, I remember I had to leave the plant at six o'clock because I had to take my daughter in the daycare. And, you know, in one moment, somebody asked me if, if I didn't feel bad because all the directors stay later and I had to leave at six. I say, no, why? You know, it was so simple for me that I, th I think that nobody questioned if I was a, a woman or with some women responsibilities. I think this is what happened to me. Oh, yeah, that is a great example of just of really just being yourself. And you said I was who I am, and I led how I led and people could trust me. And then also having that great role model of your mom, who was kind of ahead of her time and just encouraged you so that you're like, you know what, it's it's normal sometimes to be the only female in an environment, but that's not intimidating, I can still show up and be myself. Um, you know, you you talked about, you know, taking your daughter to daycare and having to leave work a little bit early. Um, do you have any advice for people on work-life balance? Yes, that if you want to balance little things, it's possible. <laughs> if you want to balance big things, you have to choose, in my opinion. No? In my example, for me, it was so clear that in one moment, my career was the main focus. But when I got pregnant, then I changed. And then it's not that the balance for me doesn't represent half and half. The balance is to choose when. Um, and then, by example, later I had an issue with my mother and also I had to choose. In one moment, I decided not to take a project that could, could help me in this moment in my career. And I say no, because my mother was more important. Uh, she needed more in this moment. No, Then my, my, my comment is, if you want to balance big things, in my opinion, in some moments you have to choose. If you want to balance little things, yeah, balance everything, <laughs> get everything at the same time. I think it's difficult for a woman or men. I think this will be the same question. Right. And I like that long-term perspective of figuring out what you've got going on right then and, and just balancing according to that. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah thank you for that. So, um, Elsie, you are in an industry that requires a lot of innovation. How have you learned to be innovative in your work? Mm, well, first one comment. In the area, I was always in quality or in management. I didn't have the opportunity to innovate in products. 
but yes, in processes and problem solving processes. And I think there, as in products, perhaps, is to fail. The way to innovate is to fail, to try a lot of things, because if not, everything will be in your, in your head. You will not be able to innovate to, to make something, no? Then it's, you have to try, you know, this famous sentence, fail quick and cheap. Then it's make a lot of trials, fail cheap. And in one moment, one of these trials will be the innovation, innovation in process or innovation in products, but it's fail quick. Right. And then just having that relationship with failure, that is just part of the innovative process and the expectation that there will be several failures, and but one of those is going to work. One yep. of those things. Yeah. <laughs> so Elsie, can you talk about what it was like when you got Artie as your mentor in 2004? Ah, it was terrific. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I remember I was in this program uh, with more uh, uh, women in the organization, but I was the only one in Mexico. And at this moment, there were no uh, mentors in Mexico. Then at the beginning, I say, oh, it's a bad luck. I will not have this face-to-face -face meeting, no? But it was perfect because then I got Artie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in this moment when uh, now video conference is very normal, but in this moment, this was not the way to war. Then it was really one to, to, to start to, to, to deal with this way of communicating. This was the first time I had this conversation or this relationship uh, through, through, through phones. And it was really in the perfect time or perhaps it's always the perfect time if you have a mentor. Because when, when I got Artie as mentor, I was manager. And then we had this very well-structured program in Mentium that it's well-structured, you have goals, you have a structure behind. And in one moment, I, I had the, the feeling that I could get a promotion, but I, don't, I didn't know what to do. You know, I don't know if I, because I am woman, I am Mexican or I, I am Elsie, but I, I felt it's normal to raise the hand and go, I want this position. And Artie was there, you know, o sea, and, and since this moment, Artie was always there yeah. <laughs> in my promotions, no? <laughs> uh, and, and this was really nice because, you know, I think uh, that a mentor uh, uh, as Artie give you a different perspective. You are not blind. You are not blind because it's good or not to raise the hand in the Mexican culture is acceptable, but not acceptable in German, yes. And having somebody outside, but interested in your career, give you complete different panorama. And this was in 2004. And it was just when I had Artia's mentor that I moved from manager to director. Wow, that is a great story. And um, like, I love how you just talked about the power and the influence of having, you know, someone that is confidential that you can talk to and that can help you be, you know, brainstorm and think of ideas and think of possibilities and expand the way you think about things. Mm -hmm. um, so, well, after that great introduction, we are going to have Artie <laughs> join us now. Welcome, Artie. Um, I'm just so excited, you know, to have you both on because during Artie's podcast interview, he told the story about, you know, what a thrill it was when he got to meet a former mentee in person after keeping in touch for many years. And Elsie, of course, you were that 
former mentee that he was referring to. Um, and we all just love this story. And so I had several requests. They're like, can you have Artie and Elsie on a podcast together? And I said, oh, you bet I can. So, so Artie, can you elaborate on this story of what, what, what it was like to have Elsie as a mentee and then how it came about that you met in person after all these years? Sure. And first, thank you, Salve, for this opportunity to see Elsie a second time, more or less in person, and to always be part of the Mentium team. I love it. 25 years mentoring and uh, or 20 years plus with 25 mentees. And Elsie is one of my standouts, that's for sure. So to, to put some background to it, in 2004, I was the general manager of our Chilean uh, business operation. So I was in Chile and uh, Elsie was in Mexico. And this was before the time of Zoom like we're doing now and Skype and WhatsApp and FaceTime. I, I think if I'm remembering right, it was all just telephone conversations back and forth. So I didn't have a face to go with any of it. It's just tone of voice and conversation and, and discussions. But as you can tell, those who are listening to the podcast and those who may see some video clips of this, Elsie is so crystal clear about her perspective on life and values and issues and ethics. So when we talked, it was easy conversations. And uh, what was really great with Elsie is that she was comfortable, this may be sound weird, comfortable getting into her discomfort zone uh, as a mentor, my role is always to push the envelope a little bit. If you're just doing the same thing, you don't need a mentor because you'll keep doing the same thing all year long. The, 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 the glory of the Mentium process is you have a year to work stuff. And when Elsie and I were working on stuff, uh, I would ask or have her consider doing some different things, challenging things, new things, difficult things. And she was game for it, which is the perfect recipe for a mentee's growth. And as she said, during the year, she became a director. So wow, that's rewarding for me as a mentor to see that kind of success. And it built a certain confidence between us. And as I tell all of my mentees on the first day of our getting acquainted, while we're busy breaking the ice, I tell them, look, if you like what we're doing for this year, You've got me for life as a mentor, as a friend. You don't have to just close the Mentium book at the end of the year and say we're done. And fortunately, Elsie took me up on that offer. And I was so honored that years later, it might have been years between our conversations, she would send me an email and say, you know, I'm at a crossroads here. And Artie, what do you think? And we would just chat like we did years before. So long story short, we come from 2004 to 2021. Elsie mentioned she was going to be in the States. I live in the southern part of Florida, not too far from Miami, where she was going to be coming. And she did the hour and a half drive to come up and, and meet with my wife, who you may have seen in the background, drifting in the video for a moment there. We had a beautiful lunch together. And just like with any good friends, anytime, it was like, 17 years collapsed in an instant. And now this was our first time seeing, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. This was our first time to actually see each other. We had talked, we had had lots of good conversations, but just to be elbow to elbow sitting in, in the middle of a pandemic with masks and, and restaurants, but Florida was open enough. So we were able to have a, a wonderful 
lunch conversation, got acquainted, and Elsie, I wish we'll keep doing it again. So it was just a beautiful, a beautiful opportunity. And, and I'm thrilled that we had the initial year together and then uh, almost two decades together in this way. All right. I've got goosebumps just hearing that story. I love stories like that. I mean, it really highlights that enduring connection that you have, you know, when you get to know someone in a mentoring relationship, like you, you know them. So like you said, already, if it didn't matter if you hadn't spoken in a few years, you could just click right back into that zone. And then seeing each other, like how you said, everything just kind of all those years just disappeared. And then here you were. Um, it also shows how far we've come with technology in the last 17 years, you know, that there was a time where there, you know, video meetings weren't possible. You really didn't see someone's face like that. That is such a cool story. And Elsie, that was great that you reached out and said, hey, I'm going to be in Florida. And that is so cool. So as we've already talked about before, you know, Elsie was in a male-dominated industry when, when Artie was her mentor. Um, and one of the things Elsie wanted to work on with Artie was how to gain more control over her career development and to have top management consider her for opportunities outside of the area she was in at the time. And so, you know, as, as Elsie said, she's like, oh, I got promoted to director during that time. Um, so I would love to have both of you comment on this. This is kind of like a two-part question but Artie, let's start with you. Um, how do you mentor people to take charge of career planning? Three components I think are critical. One is perhaps most important, do your job with excellence. Uh, number two is volunteer, take initiatives. And number three is you wanna build networks. So let me just talk a little bit about each three because they all build up to your ability to move on and up in your career. Uh, so the first one in terms of do your job with excellence, if you're doing an average job, you're not even gonna be looked at for future opportunities. So you have to stand out in a good way in, in meeting company goals and doing things the right way and not stepping over somebody else's back to move up. And when I'm encouraging folks to do their job with excellence is, of course, you got to focus on knowing what your goals are and work on your goals. But I often, often encourage, go to your strengths. Uh, you may be great in people communications. You may be a little weaker on, on crunching the numbers. Know what your strengths are. And my guidance is, unless the weakness is a glaring disability that's gonna prevent you from moving, don't waste a lot of energy trying to become an expert accountant. Let the accountants be the accountants and you, if you're the people person and the leader and the manager, go to your strengths because where your strengths are, where your passion is, you don't mind doing the extra work. And when you don't mind doing the extra work, you probably do put in a little bit more than, than the average person and you get more than average results. So go to your strengths, stick with your strengths, know what your weaknesses are, get the help you might need, but don't let it become a nightmare for you. Uh, secondly is how you do your job. Your word is your bond and you wanna make sure when you make a commitment, you meet a commitment. And uh, I, I often say, don't try to do something. That may sound weird. And what I'm really meaning is break the habit of answering a question about when you'll get something done by saying, well, I'll try to get it done by Friday. 
make a commitment. I will get it done by Friday. I will get it done by next month. Of course, crazy things happen and you may have to renegotiate a deadline and, and, and deal with your boss or the environment for priorities and resources. But get in the habit where your word is your bond and you do what you say you're gonna do. You're not gonna try something and have a built-in excuse. So that's doing your job well. The other couple things about taking initiative and volunteering and networking, th these are just kind of fringe elements that build to your perfect performance. And um, volunteering and taking initiative, look about ways to grow in place. You don't have to run out for an MBA. You can manage your business always in place by learning and growing and look for internal mentors. I mean, we have the whole mentee process going here, but there are mentors all around us. And if you see somebody who's good at public speaking, talk to them. How did you get so good? What books would you suggest? Can I shadow you for a while? You see somebody who's good at, at, at dealing in stressful situations, look for your mentors, volunteer to get experience, take on some roles outside the work and inside the road, role of work that'll help you prepare, be prepared for the next step. And lastly, build your networks, be helpful to others. In my book, I talk about a four to one rule, like the golden rule, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Well, do unto others four times as you would have them maybe do unto you. Always be trying to be as supportive and kindful and helpful as you can to others that builds networks with others. They become supportive and they help you to be moving forward as well. So short story made long about how to develop in your career is do your job well, do your volunteering and take initiative and build your networks around you. Oh, thanks for that that great advice, Artie. Um, and so the second part of that question is, how do you mentor people to get better at authentic self-promotion in order to get notice for opportunities to advance? It comes back to the fundamental of do your job well. And part of that I would always stress is be goal-oriented. I mean, we're all measured ultimately on accomplishing stuff at work. So have your your target of what is it I'm supposed to do in my job and do well, what are my goals, and meet them. And, and have it as kind of a holy grail that you will stay focused on your goals. And what I used to do routinely, we all get the performance review once a year, we have our goals for the year. And a lot of people, I know the real world, a lot of people say, all right, I'll worry about that at the end of the year when I have to get ready for the year end summary. Every three months, every quarter for decades in my career, I would voluntarily submit to my boss, here's where we stand on the year-to-date goals. And it was helpful for me because it reminded me, hey, within three months, you gotta get certain things done as part of the big goal. And I would, when I was in a leadership position, ask all of my subordinates on my team to get their goals updated to me quarterly so that I could end up voluntarily giving my quarterly goals forward. But what, what, of all, what is all of this about? It's about goal orientation and results. So work on that. Secondly, keep track of your stars. Those who are familiar with behavioral interviewing know the situation, task, action, result, behavioral answers to questions of how good are you at conflict resolution? How good are you at attention to detail? And you have your story, your star. Keep your stars current because they're all based on skills, a skill that you can demonstrate with a situation, task, action, result. 
it's kind of keeping your resume up to date and it's kind of keeping your mind up to date with where are my skills moving in the right direction and what skills do I need to develop that I haven't had the chance or opportunity to do so. So as I'm getting my self-promotion plan going, as I'm getting myself ready for whatever the next step is, is to look at where are my skills, keep track of them, and start working on the areas where I maybe need some help. And then a couple other things is use your annual performance review, not just as here's my goals and here's what I did, but it's your chance to talk about with your boss, with your company, your growth, what are your next steps and have in your annual performance review, your own plan, your own recommendations of this is what I'd like to do in the next year to grow. It's not about me, it's about the company to grow so I can help the company better. So get that marriage between your interests and skills and their needs and how you can show in your development plan, not just technical stuff, but growth and development stuff. And as I mentioned earlier, volunteer, get yourself exposed in the community and the corporation as there's campaigns, as uh, whatever's going on where you can start to practice the skills, get some volunteer time you know it's hard it's hard to fire a volunteer it, you almost can't mess up as a volunteer so it's it's kind of lower risk high reward whatever skills you develop as a volunteer they're great and you learn a few things and maybe you fail a few times but it's it's in a good environment so know your goals update them quarterly look at at ways that you can build your performance review to help you in your growth and then volunteer for stuff throughout so you keep developing more skills. Artie, those are great actionable ideas. Um, for those of you who would like to hear more of Artie's ideas, I highly recommend his book, Slice the Salami, Tips for Life and Leadership, which is available at Amazon and artielinworth.com. Looking at the video, he's holding it up right now and all proceeds from this book go to charity. I've read this book and I have so many highlights in it, so many page turned down because they're all right there from you know a career of building up all these insights. So that was just a, just a little aside there. Um, so Elsie, can you talk about this from your perspective? You know, what kind of things did you do to show senior management, you know, that you were ready for more responsibility? I follow RTS advice. <laughs> <laughs> it works. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I will, yeah, I will, by example, related to volunteer, it's not just to get exposure, but also to learn different things because when you volunteer normally it's not your job responsibility and here you can learn a lot about the organization i remember i volunteered to help my boss in one moment to put together a powerpoint presentation and remember you can say this is not interesting powerpoint presentation but this allowed me to understand all the other areas that were not under my responsibility because i tried to put together and then this volunteer again has this um, uh, exposure, uh, benefit, and also to understand other areas that are not your responsibility. And the other point is raise the hand. Again, because you know, I, I had an example. Once I knew that there was a possibility to be sent abroad. And later I asked my boss, and why you didn't thought about me? Yes, I thought about you, but your daughter is a little baby. But this is my point. 
I have to take the decision if I, if I wanted to bring my daughter to another country. This is not your responsibility. But how could I expect that he knew about this? Then to raise the hand is not just to say I have the skills, but also I am prepared. I am prepared in my personal life to take this challenge. Your boss doesn't have to know this. This is your, your responsibility, no? And then in my career, it always worked. I volunteer, I invested, I, I knew different skills and I raised the hand. That is great advice. So follow Artie's advice and then volunteer, <laughs> build your skills, raise your hand and, and, and just, yeah, like you, your manager can't read your mind that you're ready for this next thing. And they're like, oh, well, that person's really interested. Um, and then also through volunteering, I'm sure you meet a lot of people and it really helps with your networking and you meet them just outside of a it's pure business context for your job, but you're like, all of a sudden you're doing something interesting that you're both volunteering for. So one of the areas that many mentees want guidance in is learning to be more influential in their workplace. Um, you both have been very influential in your career. What do you think has made you a successful influencer? And do you have any advice for people who would like to get better at influencing either with or without authority? And Elsie, I want to start with you. What would, you know, what's made you a good influencer and what is your advice to people who want to get better at this skill? I think it's like the influencer in YouTube. <laughs> I example, the influencer in travel, he travels a lot. The influencer in cooking cooks a lot, no? I think it's the same thing. Do by, by example. You know, everything that you, 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 you need to, you want to influence, you have to do. Go, to, by example, I, I work in plants, no? Then go to the plant, meet the people, go, you know, in, in Japanese, this is the gemba. Uh, to go to the problem, meet the people, try to get their advice, and then it's normal they will see you influencing them. And, and this is in all the categories, no? It can be with the people in the shop floor, it can be with your peers. If, if they start to see that you take care about the people, normally they will follow if, they, if, you, if you show uh, good results, no? Then summarizing is uh, you are influencer, if you do things, then the, the people will see the results. If the results are good, they will follow you. Right. That is a, that's a great example, like that they will see that you are an example and they think, oh, I want to be like that. So that is great. What about you, Artie? What has made you influential and what advice would you have for someone wanting to improve this skill? I'll start with the advice. <laughs> Get my book. Okay. <laughs> no, Good advice. Yeah. Yes, slice the salami tips for life and leadership one slice at a time. It, it, just running through the chapters. And, and these are, when I wrote my book, I said to myself, after 40 years in career leadership, if I were wanting to help somebody else, with a white page, where, what would I start listing as things that would help them be influential in their job, help them to be successful, help them to grow. And I just started to putting the chapters together. And as a result, the, the, the flow of the chapters, as I just read through the chapter headings, uh, the first one deals with how do you make change in your life? How do you change others? Talk about influence. And the concept of the book, Slice the Salami, is it's a slice at a time, a little bit at a time. Don't choke on the salami trying to do everything in a day. 
uh, you can't necessarily influence everybody overnight. So learn the techniques for slow and steady wins the race. But then chapter two goes on to, what if you have a sense of urgency? Uh, as Elsie, I'm sure knows, the bosses aren't waiting for 10 years of slicing the salami. They need, they need results now. So how do you deal with now? How do you get your organization and your team to smell the smoke and see the flames so that they get up off their butt and they react like you're reacting with the flames nipping at your heels? Um, there are ways to communicate that sense of imp importance and urgencies. And then the rest of the book deals with things like uh, time management and attitude and teamwork uh, and ethics and being happy on the job and being able to make, I, I love the way Elsie described the, 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 the work balance, the big issues. If you know yourself and what's important, those decisions really become easier. So you have to work on understanding that process. And I cover some of that in my book. My book's not the only book. And I think the general concept of being influential and, and having tips for success is to continuously learn. So I'm going to just take a minute. I have like my top dozen that I like, but I, I brought to this podcast four books that I want to just mention and people can take notes on it and look them up. Some of them are old, some of them are newer. The perfect title for your question is Managing by Influence. This was written by a husband-wife team, Kenneth Schatz and Linda Schatz. And I, that book I read years ago and is very powerful about managing by influence. And one of the key phrases in there that I've never forgotten and repeat often is, you can never not lead. And as leaders, you're on display 24 seven, 360 degrees. Whatever you're doing or not doing becomes influential to others. And that comes back exactly to Elsie's point, point. You have to do. And as a leader, you're always doing. And even when you're not doing, you're doing. It's kind of like to, not to decide is to decide. There's these, these phrases that really make a lot of sense. So that's a book, Managing by Influence. Another book that was quite popular for a while, great book, Good to Great. Good to great. That's by Jim Collins. And it's why some companies make the leap and others don't. Good to great. And the fundamental of that is the hedgehog concept. Head down, know your focus, know your goal, and focus on the things that are your passion, what you can be best in the world at, and what makes money for the company. And you have to have that perfect um, merging of those three factors. And if you know yourself, if you know your passions, if you know what you can be good at, go to your strengths, and can make the company successful as a result, good to great gives you a lot of good tips on how to do that. Great on the Job, another book by Jody Glickman. Uh, what to say, how to say it, the secrets of getting ahead. Great book that talks about your 30-second elevator speech, as well as how do you answer the question when you don't know the answer to the question? And each of her chapters deals with kind of a little recipe of here's step one, step two, step three. Follow that recipe and you'll be able to communicate effectively. And much of leadership is communication. All of influence is communication. Last but not least, one of my favorites is by Aubrey C. Daniels, Bringing Out the Best in People, How to Apply the Astonishing Power of Positive Reinforcement. We're talking about influencing people. 
This is what trainers and coaches do all the time. They're influencing behavior change. They're influencing modifications of behavior. So learn from the experts. Positive reinforcement is the best way to get a behavior to move in the direction that you want it to go and to have that behavior reinforced so that it repeats. And as we as managers learn the power of positive reinforcement, we have the gold mine, the answer to how to influence others. So those would be my suggestions. Continuous learn, check my book out, check the other good books and learn how to keep growing in your job. I hope that helps. That is really helpful. Um, thank you for that great advice. And we will have the books that I already referenced in the show notes for this episode so that they will be easy for you to access. Okay, Artie and Elsie, we have time for one final question. So what is one of the most important things you have learned in your career? Um, Elsie, I'm going to have you go first on this answer. I think I cannot summarize in one, perhaps in three. Okay, that works, yeah. <laughs> one is, you know, you have to be known by one specific thing. Because, you know, there is a lot of people uh, knowing what you, what you know. This is clear and very good performance. But you are well known by one thing. The organization will look for you in these things. No? The other is like a cliche, but um, get out of your comfort zone. Um, and it's difficult when you are in one organization for many years. But there is always opportunities. Change from manufacturing to quality or from Mexico to Germany, but really go out of this, uh, this uh, comfort zone. Because it's not just that you question your beliefs, but also you have to put energy in things that are not the day-to-day -day things. For example, in my case, it was I, I opened a, a plant without having any expertise on this, no? But it was so energizing for me that it's the best experience I, I could have, no? But because I was out of my comfort zone. And the other, and I repeat some, uh, something that Artie mentioned, is uh, to increase and to work in your network. Because it can be, I can be very good uh, in something, but if nobody knows me or nobody can recommend me, it will not work, no? And this with the time in the organization is not that you are presenting yourself in every meeting, but you know who to call in some specific case and this to, to build your web network. Elsie, that is great advice on the things that you have learned throughout your career. And I especially like you talking about how it can actually be exhilarating when you get out of your comfort zone. Sometimes you get past that kind of fear. And then when you get out of your comfort zone and you actually succeed in doing something new and something bigger than you thought you could do, um, that, that there's no feeling quite like that. So thank you. Okay, Artie, it's your turn. What are some of the most important things you have learned in your career? Focus on one thing, do your job great. Now with that, I'll just add three elements. Focus on your strengths, help others and build your reputation. Focus on your strengths comes back to, we each have some natural abilities. We know what they are. We know what we're comfortable. We know what we enjoy doing when we do them and we do them well keep working to those strengths, keep building other strengths, 
but keep focusing on your strengths. Help others. I love John Maxwell's quote, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And Elsie, in the beginning of this uh, podcast, mentioned the word empathy. And I think that really resonates well with me and it should with your listeners that you have to be seen as someone who understands the problem, their problem, and be there to help them. So if you're going to be seen as a helper, as a problem solver, that's all to your benefit. And then lastly, build your reputation. Uh, and that's through your commitment, your, your not saying the word, I'll try to, but do, and your word is your bond. If you can focus on that, be great at what you do, focus on your strengths, be caring and helpful and empathetic to others, and let your word be your bond as a deliverer, you're golden. Elsie and Artie, I, I, I have no words. This has just been so fun to talk with both of you. I mean, your story of meeting in person 17 years after being matched as mentor and mentee is so inspiring. Um, our slogan at Mentium is changing lives one match at a time. And your story beautifully illustrates the power of mentoring um, to change lives and to build relationships that can last a lifetime. And then I have just been you know, blown away by both of you and and just the amazing insights and actionable ideas and perspectives that you have on, um, you know, helping the next generation of leaders. So Artie and Elsie, thank you both so much. And Artie, thank you for your commitment to mentoring all these years. And Elsie, thank you for signing on as a new mentor. We just really appreciate all that our mentors do here at Mentium. And thank you all for listening to this episode of the Mentium Matters podcast. All the books and resources mentioned will be available on the show notes for this episode. We have many great episodes yet to come. So I look forward to having you all back next time.